Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church Podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and His church, grow in faith and understanding of God's Word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Well, good morning, church family. How is everyone doing? Good, good. Uh, If you have your Bibles, go and turn with me to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we are going to be in uh, verses 30 through 44 this morning. And we're going to be continuing our study on the life of Jesus. We've seen the baptism of Christ, the temptation of Jesus, Jesus calling the first disciples, a couple of his interactions with, with individuals, first with Nicodemus, and then last week, the woman at the well, the, the Samaritan woman. And, and so over the course of time in Jesus' life, he is now gaining uh, a lot of popularity. A lot of crowds are starting to come to him, starting to see who he is, what he's doing. And so this week, we're going to look at the only miracle, apart from the resurrection, the only miracle that's recorded in all four of our Gospels, and that is the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 5,000. This is a very important miracle. This is it's why it's in all four Gospels. So let's read together, beginning in verse 30 of chapter 6. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away into the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples said to him, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And he said, And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So before we jump in, I just want to give a word of caution to us. Because, because many of us, at least if we grew up in church, many of us are really familiar with this story, right? We've, we've heard it, 
probably since childhood. And, and here's the deal. Familiarity with something can, can breed contempt, right? And, and so this can happen with the person of Jesus. This can happen with, with Bible stories that we've heard many, 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 many times. And, and these familiar stories to us, we can just kind of glean over them when we get to them in our Bibles because, because we're familiar with it. Like we can think to ourselves, well, well, I've studied that. I've learned the lessons here. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on to the next thing. And, and if we're not careful with doing that, particularly with this miracle, we can find ourselves reading the text and, and just drawing out some concrete lessons. Like, you know, in John 6, we see a little boy was the one who brought this, the, the loaves and fish. We can say, look at how Jesus used that little boy to serve him. Or we can think like, you know, Look at how Jesus provides the physical needs of people. And, and both of those things are important. But, but I believe there is so much more God wants us to know and see in the text that, that he would want us to hear and respond to. And so this story, this is a story about trust in Jesus. It, it's Jesus wanting to move his followers to a place of full and complete trust in him. And, and trust, it always starts with our understanding or, or lack thereof, right? And, and, if our, and, if our, and if it's lacking, it always plays itself out really practically in our lives. It, it, uh, our lack of trust can manifest its way practically in our lives. So there's a picture in the Bible of the disciples not fully understanding who Jesus is. And, and they don't trust in what he can do. The next miracle recorded, if you just let your eyes glance down in your Bibles, um, is Jesus walking on the water. That's what's in verses 45 to 52. And I want you to see something. Verse 49, the disciples see Jesus late in the night walking, looks like a ghost, they cry out. They saw him. They're terrified. Watch this, verse 50. Immediately, Jesus speaks to them. Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them. The wind ceased. The disciples were just kind of blown away. Text says, utterly astounded. Now look at what Mark, okay? Look in your Bibles. Look at what Mark, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, tells us in verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, because their hearts were hardened. Do you see that? Like, like this is a reference to what we're studying today. And it comes on the tail end of Jesus walking on the water. Mark tells us why these guys were terrified. The bottom line is they didn't get it. At least yet. Like they didn't understand. They didn't get Jesus completely. Turn over a few pages in your Bibles, maybe one page, to Mark 8. Really quick. There's another miraculous feeding that Mark records. Um, but this time, Jesus feeds 4,000 people. Shortly afterwards, Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. They want him to do this big miracle in the sky because, because they thought that was really the big deal. And so they're asking for that. So Jesus asked them, is that all you're looking for? Verse 13, Jesus gets into the boat with the disciples to go to the other side. Now look at verse 14 in chapter 8. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. 
and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? He's talking to the disciples here. Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? Notice what Jesus is doing here. He's saying, don't you get it? I multiplied loaves and fish. On a couple of occasions, you saw it with your own eyes. I walked across water, and yet you still don't fully understand who I am. And because you fully don't understand who I am, you don't fully trust in what I can do. Praise God that, that we have the entirety of Scripture um, to, to see that Jesus is doing something here in order to bring us to this place of trust in him. Like we're looking at a trust issue. So let's get into Mark chapter six and, and here's the deal. I want us to see together the, the beauty of Jesus as our true shepherd and trust in him, knowing that, that Jesus will provide for us. And in this passage in Mark six, we see Jesus provides for us in four ways, four ways. So, so as our good shepherd, Jesus provides rest. Jesus provides rest in him. Right out of the gate here, verses 30 through 32, the disciples come, come right, out, right off their mission that they'd had. They were, they were casting out demons, they were healing the sick, uh, they are preaching the gospel of repentance. We see this earlier when Jesus sends them out in verses 12 and 13 of chapter six. So, so they come back from doing this and they report to Jesus. And he tells them, I want, I want you to come away. I want us to get some, some rest. And so Jesus is shepherding them into something very practical here. And, and it's physical. It's on the surface. Their bodies needed to have some downtime. Like, like yours do and, and mine does. And, and God has shown the importance of this even from the very beginning of the Old Testament, right? When, when God created the world, he, he rested on the seventh day. When, when God is, is showing the Israelites the importance of having and the necessity of having a Sabbath rest. There are other examples, but, but look, we need rest. Very, very practically, like I've got a long way to go in this area in my own life and, and, and applying the importance of this to, to myself, but, but these disciples needed a break. Their bodies needed it. They had just come off mission. Uh, the text says in verse 31, sometimes they were working so hard, sometimes they were so busy that they didn't, they didn't even have time to eat. So this text is showing us how Jesus is shepherding them to get some rest. 
And so he says, let's go away where you can do this. Now, now whether Jesus was thinking at that point, like, we're going to get in the boat, we're going to go to the other side, and then we're going to go find some rest from there, or that just the boat ride itself is where you're going to get rest, um, we just see that he's shepherding them into physical rest. But I think there's more happening in the text. Why? Well, well, notice the word desolate, okay? Notice the word desolate. It's actually mentioned three times in this passage, but two in the first few verses. Jesus says in verse 31, come away to a, a desolate or, or a deserted place. Then the text tells us again, verse 32, they went into the boat to a desolate or deserted place. Then again in verse 35, this is an important word that's used to describe a number of situations for Jesus, really important ones, okay? So Jesus was tempted where? In the, in the wilderness is the word that we often think of, but this is a desolate, a deserted place. When, when Jesus healed the leper, he was forced out of the city because the crowd was getting so big, and he, did, he went to a desolate, a deserted place. Throughout Israel's history, this was an image that God would use physically and metaphorically to refer to him. To, to him taking them to a place, getting them out to a place where he would test them, where, where he would meet them, and would he, where he would give them assurance of rest that he would give to them. This is something that, that the people of God would have held on to throughout history. And, and they would have understood this concept related to desolate places. And if you study Israel's history, the, the people of God went out into the wilderness. God met them there. He entered into a covenant with them. He provided for them, assured them that he was taking them to the promised land. But you know what? When they got to the promised land, they really didn't experience rest. There were, there were wars. There were battles. There, there was rebellion. There was apostasy. There was people turning away from God. There was all kinds of turmoil. And the psalmist and other prophets understood this. And, and they talked about a greater rest, an, an ultimate rest that was to come for the people of God. Not wanting them to think, well, is this all there is to it? Is this what, is this what God meant by rest? And, and that's probably what some of us may be thinking in this room, in our lives. Like, like when I do take a day off of work, as soon as I'm on that off day, I'm, I'm working at home, right? I, I'm caring for my family who's needing my leadership and, and shepherding and doing my responsibilities there, which are, which are good and right that need to happen. There, there are bills to pay. There's work around the house. Like I'm having to mow the lawn. Man, I hate mowing the lawn. Um, there always seems to be work. And you know what? It would be easy for us to think about this concept of rest like, is this all that God promises? My goodness, this, this doesn't seem like rest. And probably most of us have thought that. And rightly so. Why? 
because it's not the ultimate rest that Jesus shepherds his people to. I want to show you a passage in the book of Hebrews, really, really all of Hebrews chapter 3 and, and into chapter 4, the author of Hebrews is talking about this. He's going back to the Old Testament and saying, you know, the people of God did not experience rest in the promised land. But look at what he says in chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. He says, for if Joshua, remember Joshua is the one who led the people out of Israel into the promised land. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about heaven here, right? But zoom out. Who's he talking about? Well, chapter three, the chapter prior, begins by the author talking about Jesus being the greater Moses, the, the people of God. Who did they look to as their, as their greatest leader, their, their ultimate deliverer? They looked to Moses, right? But the author of Hebrews comes in and says, you know, really, Jesus was, is the greater Moses. Moses was just a picture of, of Jesus who would ultimately come. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. Jesus is even better than Moses, the author of Hebrews says in chapter three. And why? Because Jesus is the only way you get to that promised rest. And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying to the people reading that book. He's saying, there's a, there's a rest to come. And those of us that have read in the book of Revelation and other places we, we know what that looks like. We, we long for that day where there's no more crying, no more pain, no more, no more death, no more dying, no more moaning, no more stress, no more tension, no more of our, of our bodies wearing out. There's a day of rest coming. And guess what? Jesus is the only way we get there. He is the only way to that. And as our good shepherd, Jesus provides rest in him. And secondly, turning back to Mark 6, Jesus provides relationship with him. Jesus provides relationship with him. Now in the next few verses, what happens? Beginning in, in verses 33 and 34, they get to the other side. And this big crowd saw them crossing over the water and, and so they ran ahead. They ran ahead of them and, and waited for Jesus and the disciples to arrive. They, they beat them there. And Mark records Jesus' observation. Look in the text. Uh, in verse 32, or for 34, I'm sorry, he says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he what? He had compassion on them. He had compassion on them, which is literally a word that means to, to feel in one's bowels in your stomach. Like, like Jesus wasn't just feeling sorry. He, he was identifying with the people. He had an empathy for the people. He was, he was hurting for them. And his assessment, he, he had compassion on them. And why did he have compassion on them? What does the text say? Because they were like sheep, 
without a shepherd. Now, now this, this was not foreign terminology to Jesus and, and foreign terminology to the Jewish people. They, they read their Old Testament. They knew it. They would have understood that, that this is something they'd heard before. When the children of Israel were about to go into the promised land, Moses was praying that, that God would raise somebody up to replace him um, because he had been the shepherd of the people. And now Moses was about to die. They were about to go in the promised land. So in Numbers 27, verse 15, here's what he prayed. should be on the screens behind me. Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as a sheep that have no shepherd. Now, in both of these passages where this terminology is used, there's something really important that's implied. And that's a, that's a relationship, right? The idea in Numbers 27 is that, that the people may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. And Mark 6, Jesus is saying, these crowds, they, they are sheep without a shepherd, Notice how these two things are supposed to go together. When, when you have sheep, you're supposed to have a shepherd. And, and when you have a shepherd, there are sheep. There's, there's a relationship at play. So Jesus, seeing a, Jesus is seeing a group of people where, where that relationship isn't there. They're sheep, but they don't have a shepherd. Now look at how he addresses the situation. Look, look at how he shepherds these people. At the end of verse 34, he began to teach them many things. Now, you might find yourself at, at this point in the text wanting it to say, you know, he, he, he went out and he hugged them. Or he went out into the crowd and, and he comforted them. Or he patted them on the back. He counseled them. He encouraged them. He visited them there. And we think those things because that's what we think of when we think of a shepherd. But I want you to see, Jesus saw these people wandering spiritually. He saw them wandering spiritually, and this is why he hurt in his gut. Because there was, there was a relationship that they didn't have. And that relationship could only be created by one thing, by one person, and that was him. And how do we know this? Because he's teaching, which is what Jesus had been doing since the beginning of his ministry. Mark 1, verses 14 through 15, Jesus comes out of the wilderness, and it says, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This was his message. This is what Jesus was telling people. He was saying, I am the gospel. This Good news has come. The kingdom of God has come, and it is now accessible. You can embrace it. This is what Jesus is saying. He sees these people wandering spiritually because they have no relationship, no real relationship with God. They've got religion. They've got ceremonies. They've got routine. They've got sacrifices. They do all the things religious people do, but they didn't have a shepherd. And consequently, they weren't in a relationship with God. 
Don't miss what's happening here, y'all. Even before Jesus feeds their bellies, gives them a meal, he feeds their soul. There is certainly more that Jesus does for us as our shepherd than teach and and what our pastors are to do than, than teach, but preaching and teaching the word of God better be the first thing we do. We see that in the text from Jesus. Jesus had compassion on these people and the way that he addressed that was to shepherd them through teaching and his proclamation. And I want us to see that that that's what Jesus does. He shepherds us into relationship with him. He's the only one that can bring us into relationship with God. And you know how Jesus has shepherded us into relationship with God? He's done it by laying down his life for us, for you and for me. According to John 10, as our great shepherd, he died on the cross in, in your place and in my place. And, and he did that to make it possible for us to be made in a right relationship with God. That's the epitome of a shepherd, someone who lays down his life for the sheep. And that's what Jesus does here. He, he shepherds these folks by teaching them about relationship with him through the gospel. So, so he provides rest in him, relationship with him. And don't miss this one. Jesus provides resources for him, or, or more specifically, resources for his mission, the, the mission that we are on, right? So picking up on verse 45, or 35, Jesus' disciples, they, it starts getting late. They start getting concerned about the crowd, and, and the disciples encourage Jesus to send them away into the surrounding countryside, into the villages, and buy themselves something to eat like. Tell them we're taking a time out. They need to go get some food uh, away from here. The text points out again just that they are in the middle of nowhere, desolate place, not really close to anything. It seems like a pretty like, natural suggestion. Jesus, however, had, had, a, had a different thought. He says, you give them something to eat. Jesus didn't really want to go along with their suggestion, um, and, and he's showing the disciples and us something really intentional with what he's doing. The disciples were supposed to supply it. The, the you in the text here, this is emphatic. It's an emphatic personal pronoun, like you give them something to eat. Now, now if you're a disciple in this situation and you, and you hear Jesus say this, you're probably really confused. And, and so, so like, okay, how is this going to happen? Like, let's see how this plays out. Look at what they say. They say, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? You know, this, this response just shows how, how shocked, in a sense, they were. Like, like, they could only think of the impossible amount of money that it would have cost to be able to feed this crowd. You know, 200 denarii is worth almost what one person would make in an entire year. So, so it's a lot of money. So they, they weren't sure what Jesus was doing here, but, but Jesus knew what he was doing here. Before he, he gave them specific instructions on, on what he was going to do, he asks what the disciples had. And it was a pretty meager amount. Five loaves and two fish. 
which, is, which would have been impossible to feed the crowd. John tells us, chapter 6, his, um, when he's telling us about the feeding of the 5,000, that, that this is basically a, a little boy's lunch that his mom would have packed him. The loaves were, were barley loaves, John tells us also, which would have been these like really small, flat loaves of bread. Someone would have been able to eat several of them in a, in a single meal, kind of like a cracker, if you will. Not, not these massive loaves that we can think of. So everyone sits in groups of hundreds and fifties. Jesus takes the loaves and two fish, looks up to heaven, blesses it, breaks the loaves. And who's he give it to, to set before the people? The disciples. And he divided the two fish among the people. Jesus is the one providing the resources here. The, the disciples were trying to complete this task um, themselves, in their own ways, with their own solutions. But look, if anything was gonna happen, the disciples need Jesus' miraculous power. He's the one who's providing the, the physical resources and bread to feed them a meal. And you see what he's doing here, right? He, he's making a point. You know, listen, church, this is, this is really important. Jesus is saying, I, I'm leaving you on mission. I'm gonna leave you on mission. You are my representatives. You are my hands and you are my feet. You, you, are, you are my voice. You are extensions of the gospel ministry. And I want you to know that I will provide everything you need to accomplish this task. You know, some of us, some of us might be thinking, sitting here today, thinking to ourselves like, well, I don't, I don't bring anything to the table. There, there's nothing I can do. I, I don't speak well. I don't, I don't know enough. There, I've got no options of what I can bring to Jesus. But, but it's a trust issue. It's a trust issue in relationship to the one who saved you, who saved me who multiplied loaves and fish on multiple occasions, who walks on water, who raises the dead, who's just simply saying to you and to me, trust me. And that's our call. That's the call upon our lives today. Like, see Jesus in this miracle, shepherding his followers to the place where they can trust him. And specifically here, they can trust him to to give them the resources to fulfill the mission that he's called them to. So number four, so Jesus provides rest in him. He provides relationship with him. He provides resources for his mission. And finally, Jesus provides refreshment, refreshment. And he provides that by him. Jesus is the, is the one that's refreshing these people physically by providing them a meal right? They're hungry. Jesus makes it possible for them to eat some bread and fish. And, and they all ate. And look at what verse 42 says. They all ate and were satisfied. They were satisfied physically. But, but I think there's at least a, a dual meaning here in verse 42, because this passage is about something bigger than this, right? Jesus is doing this for a larger reason. 
And we've just talked about him shepherding them to a relationship with him through the gospel, providing the resources that, that they need. But he desires for them and for us to be satisfied spiritually as well. You know, this is, this is not the first time that this has happened in Israel's history. Um, think way back in the Old Testament, the book of Exodus, we're told about um, a story about people who are grumbling. We don't know if in Mark here, the people were, were complaining about whether they had food to eat or not. Um, we don't have any record of that here in Mark, but the children of, uh, the children of Israel certainly were. In Exodus. So here's what God says in Exodus chapter 16, beginning in verse 11. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Notice that statement at the end. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening... Quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now, now we know of this more commonly now for us as, as manna, right? This is, these are God's first frosted flakes that he provides for the people of Israel. And, and Jesus is feeding these people bread at this point. John, in his gospel, gives us a little more information. The same feeding of the 5,000, but John tells us that the next day, the next day, People came back for breakfast. They wanted it again. You can read more about this in John 6, the beginning of the gospel uh, chapter. And Jesus says to them, no, you don't. You won't want this again. Why? Because he says, you've missed the point. And he tells them, John 6, chapter 6, verse 32, picking up, you should be able to see it. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. You know, the, the, the disciples, um, or the crowd, I'm sorry, the crowd's still thinking there's some sort of cosmic bakery up in heaven that's just kind of popping out biscuits, and we want more of this. Then skip down, well, well, verse 35 first. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Skip down to verse 48. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now the Jews, they disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, 
Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Now, now you know Jesus, Jesus wasn't talking about cannibalism here, right? You know, critics look at this and say like, man, look at that awful and gory stuff that Jesus is promoting. We know what Jesus is pointing to, right? The night before Jesus died, he, he took the Passover meal, the, the bread and the drink, and he transformed it into the Lord's Supper. And he said, this is my body and, and this is my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was talking about partaking of him. Jesus was talking about receiving him, receiving him into your life. And remember, he, he wasn't just intending for us to remember his, his death, but it looked forward to something as well that, that we're going to experience. You know, in Revelation 19, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb, when, when all of God's people will be gathered together with him forever in eternity. She's shepherding us to, to that. And see, as Christians, you know, all of us in this room, we take all of this, right? We take the, 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 the full counsel of God's word and we read Mark 6 and we ask the question, what was Jesus doing? Right? What, what is Jesus shepherding these, these people to? And listen, he, he was shepherding them, and he's shepherding us to spiritual refreshment. To the, the only way we can know him, have relationship with him, and, and spend eternity with him that, that brings refreshment, that brings satisfaction to our souls. This only happens when we partake of him. When we receive Jesus into our lives, our Savior has provided that for us through his death, through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And he has given us his word to cling to him and the resources to spread his glory. Church, don't, don't, don't miss the point of this miracle. And that is, to put your trust completely in the Savior who has provided for you. Put your trust completely in the Savior who has provided everything you need in his life. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for, for your word. Thank you for the glory of Jesus. Father, may we may we see Jesus in his fullness. May we may we rest physically but see that that is pointing to an ultimate rest that we will have one day in eternity with you. Father, thank you for providing a relationship that that our lives, our Christian walk is not to be this this checklist checklist of things but you've provided relationship for us may we learn from you and may we may we teach others may we prioritize 
knowing and applying the word of God in our lives. And, and this mission that you've called us to, to make disciples, may we realize that, that you will provide everything we need to accomplish the task that you've called us to. And finally, God, thank you for bringing us spiritual satisfaction. Father, may we see that we have everything we need provided in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.